0: Make your way back to your seats. We're going to get started. As you make your way back to your seats, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. Hey, can we get the? Can I get the lights up a little bit more? I like to see you guys. I can't see anything. Is that Shane? I'm playing. Hey, if you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. Uh, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful. Uh, that you're here with us this morning. Um, if you are a guest, let me just uh, say this: that we have been going through a series um, in the uh, the book of Genesis, and so we find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 25. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn with me there, Genesis chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one uh, under the seat in front of you. Uh, the verses will there. They are. They're on the screen. Uh, if you have a Bible app, whatever you want to do, I do encourage you to open up a Bible. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Let's start reading in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Let's pray. Father, we, whether we know it or not, are in desperate need to be brought into a deeper reality and experience of your love and kindness that you have for us this morning. For those of us who have tasted your love, we know that it's better than wine, it's better than anything else that we've ever experienced in this life, and it's what our souls long for. And so we ask that you will take us deeper this morning as a result of seeing who you are in your word. For we know that the power that we need, Father, to be brought into a deeper experience of your love, you have given to us through your word and spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask that as your word is being preached and proclaimed this morning, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would convict our hearts, that you would bring us into this place where we can taste and experience and know that you are so good. And as a result of that, that we would be changed this morning. That by seeing your love, that we would be compelled to love you. That by seeing what you have accomplished for us, that we would be a humble people and that we would be a people who praise you for your glorious grace. We ask this for in Jesus' name. Amen. So every time we come into this place, it is our desire that we are changed by the truth. But where do we find ultimate truth? Where, where do we go to to find out what is true and what is not true? As Christians we approach the answer to this question in that the the, the Bible, God's word, gives us ultimate truth. At least that's what we believe as Christians, that God has revealed himself and he's given us ultimate truth in his word, the Bible. And so it is our hope and our prayer and our desire that every time we come into this place, that we will listen to what the Bible says and let it shape and change the way that we think. Now, there are two challenges to this goal or this desire, and one of those challenges comes from our experiences. So every single person here in this place, we all have different experiences. We've all come from different places. We all have uh, different families in which we've grown up in, different cultures, different city, different, different worldviews that have taught us over time that maybe determine and shape the way that we think and and believe what is true and what is not true. So last week, we, we looked at this in regards to prayer. So for all of us, we have different experiences when it comes to prayer. For some of us, we have a very positive experience with prayer. We have seen God answer a lot of our prayers over the course of our life. And if that's you, you have this positive understanding of prayer. And you probably believe what God says is true about prayer in his word. Now, there are others of us that have different experiences. Maybe we have not seen God answer the prayers in which we hope him to answer our prayers. And we find maybe ourselves this morning very skeptical when it comes to prayer. And we kind of doubt what God says in his word if it's true when it comes to prayer. So our experiences kind of teach us and shape us what is true and what is not true. But there's something else. There is something else that is a challenge for us when we begin to see and think of what is ultimately true and what is not true. And that challenge is is that when we come to his word we may not like what we see and hear. For example what do we see happen in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden? Our first parents Adam and Eve whom we've never met right Chose to rebel against what is good. So, God defines in His Word, He defines what ultimate goodness is for His creatures or His creation in that we are to love Him above all things and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is His greatest commandment. And that is what is ultimately good and defines whether or not you are good or if you're not good. If you have lived out that greatest commandment that he places upon his creation to love him above all things and love our neighbor as ourselves. So when you think of goodness, you may say, well, I'm pretty good but how do you define goodness? We have to go back to his word and see how God defines it and then begin to measure our lives up to the standard in which he sets for us. And if we do that, we will see that no one is good. You're not good. I'm not good. And the reason for this is because we've inherited this nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. We've inherited this desire this heart within us that does not love what God loves, namely him. So just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we take God's greatest commandment to love him and love our neighbor as ourselves, and we replace God and neighbor with us. So our greatest commandment that we place upon our lives, that is just part of our nature, is part of of how we were born into this world is this commandment that we love ourselves above God, above all things, and we do not love our neighbor as ourselves or more than ourselves. We love ourselves more than our neighbor. And so as a result of this, as a result of seeing that we're not good, then do you realize that we are not deserving of anything good from God? No one is deserving of any of his love or kindness as a result of who we are, as a result of what we have done. The only thing that we actually deserve, according to God's word, Romans six twenty three, is death for the wages, you know this verse, right? For the wages of our sin. What we actually earn as a result of our lives, of our lifestyle, our heart, our nature, our desire, is death, is separation, is, is, is wrath, is punishment, is, is to be at odds with God. So anyone, which is including all of us, who are at odds of God. We are born in this this world. By nature, children of wrath, the scripture says. We are enemies of God. And so as a result of being an enemy of him, we do not deserve anything good from him. Now, you don't like this, do you? We don't like this. No one likes to be told they're not good. And no one likes to be told that God is not obligated to give us anything good in this life. But listen very carefully, this has to be the foundation to what we believe is true. Because if it's not the foundation, you know what's going to happen? If we see ourselves as ultimately good, and if God does show us any kindness and love and grace, we're going to feel like we deserve it. And we're going to miss the depths of who God is if he does actually show us any kindness and love and grace. So, as we approach Genesis chapter 5, as we approach really anything within Scripture, this must be foundational. This must be how we approach every part of this story this morning that no one, including you and me, are deserving of anything good from God. Don't deserve His grace, don't deserve His love and kindness. But if we approach this, this text, this story, with that as as the foundation this morning, we are going to be absolutely amazed, guys. And we are going to be changed by what God does for us and who he is for us. So we may not like this to be true. But if we believe God's word is true, then we have to cling to that truth. No matter what we feel, no matter how we think about it, we have to let that determine the foundation as we approach the scripture. Are we clear? We good? Okay. So with this foundation that no one is good and no one deserves anything good from God, Genesis chapter 25. Now we looked at this last week, didn't we? We looked at a portion of it. And what what, what do we see? We see Rebecca and Isaac. They waited and prayed for God for 20 years to give them children. All right, so they waited 20 years pleading. Isaac pleaded on behalf of his wife, Rebecca, and the Lord granted his prayer. And so Rebecca became pregnant. Now, it wasn't just with one child, Uh, she had twins. So kind of be careful what you pray for, right? Prayed for a child, got two. Now, Rebecca's uh, pregnancy, uh, the, the story tells us, was not easy. It was actually uh, very, very challenging. And so uh, verse 22 tells us that there was this struggle in her womb. The, the twins were struggling together. Now this word struggle um, actually means kind of more like wrestling. So in other words, there was like this WWE wrestling match going on inside of her uterus, all right? So you had these twins. You had Jacob flying off the top rope, uh, landing on Esau. And Esau giving his brother a, a headlock inside of a room. Not, not literally, but they were, they were wrestling. They, they were punching each other. They were kicking. Now, you can, uh, you can imagine that this was uh, pretty annoying for Rebecca. I'm assuming, the story doesn't tell us, but I'm assuming as she was laying in bed at night, right, with this back pain due to, uh, due to uh, her twins wrestling with, inside of her, she's just like, why? Why is this happening? And, and looking over her, uh, sweet Isaac, just sleeping there, right, like peacefully while she is experiencing this extreme pain as, as the twins within her are fighting. And so she gets fed up and she gets annoyed with, uh, with this wrestling and this pain and this struggle. And so she asks, she says, why? Why is this happening to me? And I'm sure Isaac had no clue, right? He's, he's like, I don't know, I'm going back to bed. Stop, uh, stop waking me up, you, you deal with it yourself. I don't, know. I, I don't know why you're experiencing this. So she finally goes to the Lord. Goes to the one who never sleeps, right? And she, and she says, why? why? Why is this happening to me? And this is what the Lord says. This is why he explains what's going on within her womb. And verse 23. The Lord says to Rebekah, he says, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall, uh, be, the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. What in the world does this mean? Well, to understand what this means, we have to, we have to go back and we have to fully understand what God's plans and purposes are in this world. So do you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to um, Isaac's father, Abraham, and he makes him this promise. In verse two, this is what God says to Abraham. He said, or Abram at the time, changed the name to Abraham later, but this is what he says. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who curse you and I will dishonor uh, those uh, who, uh, I'm sorry. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now listen very carefully because this is going to essentially explain a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. It really is going to explain the point of the Bible. God's plan and his purposes in making this promise to Abraham is that God still desires to be in relationship with His rebellious creation. We have to see that. We have to see the, the wonder of that—that God still desires to be in relationship with His creation, who said, "We don't want you. We don't need you. We don't. We, we don't. We don't desire you." That God still desires to be in, his, in relationship with his rebellious creation. But listen very carefully. This desire to be in relationship with his rebellious creation, this plan is to redeem a people out of this world that God chooses to redeem out of this world to make his own. So it starts with Abraham. Abraham did not deserve God's mercy. No one does. But out of all the peoples on the face of this earth, God comes to this person, this man named Abraham, and he freely set his love upon him to redeem him. And now through Abraham, God started this plan. To make a people for himself, a people that he chooses to redeem out of all peoples of the earth. It starts with Abraham and it moves to Isaac, but not Ishmael. We see that Isaac is the, the children or the child of the promise, not Ishmael. So God chose Abraham and then it moves on to Isaac. And then now we see in this text that the Lord comes to Rebekah and he says, I am going to do this, make a people for myself whom I'm going to redeem out of all the peoples on this earth, this one people, and I'm going to do it through Jacob. But not Esau. He says, there are two children in your womb. Two nations are going to be coming from them. Two peoples are going to be formed from within them. And before they were even born, before they had done anything good or bad, God says, I have chosen Jacob and not Esau to continue my plan, to redeem a people for myself, to make a treasured possession of people who I'm going to choose out of the face of the earth. God says, the older will serve the younger. That's through Jacob. I'm going to do this through Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Now, you may be thinking, why? Why did God come and choose to redeem Abraham out of all the peoples on the face of the earth? We see that it wasn't because of anything good with him. I mean, he was a, he was a pagan idol worshiper. So it wasn't that God saw his heart and it was so good. He's like, oh, here's my here's my boy Abraham. Why did God choose Isaac and not Ishmael? Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? Why did God choose this people, this family? Out of all the other peoples on the face of the earth, why do you choose this people to bring out of the world to redeem and make a people for himself? Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to why God does this, his plan of redemption. So he's speaking to descendants, all right? So he's speaking to later on, it's actually the people of Israel. We'll get there. But the people of Israel are actually uh, descendants of the family of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And this is what he says. He said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. But it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all the peoples. Why did he do it? It was because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and he redeemed you. So why did God choose Abraham out of all the peoples on the face of the earth? Why did he choose Isaac and not Ishmael? Why did he choose Jacob and not Esau? Why did he choose this family, this people? God loved them and chose them simply because he loved them and chose them. No other reason. There there is no other reason other than God freely setting his undeserved love upon Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and this people whom he has chosen to bring to himself out of this world to make his treasured possession. There is no other reason other than he just simply chose them and loved them. It wasn't because they were deserving of it. No one is. But God freely chose to set his redeeming love them simply because of his grace. God's plan of redemption started with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then it still continues today within the church. You and me. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to give you some time to turn there. And as you turn there, let me explain this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in a city called Ephesus. So he's writing to Christians. He's writing to followers of Jesus. He's writing to the church. And this is what he says to them. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us, the church, you, me, those who are followers of Jesus, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, Before the foundation of the world, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have faith in Christ this morning? Do you believe him to be your savior and king? If so, why? or how How did you come to have faith in Christ? How did you come to to see and believe that Jesus is your only hope in this life and the life to come, that he is the one, the only one who can take away your sin, forgive you of your sin and give you a righteousness that you need and a new spirit to change you and make you into this new creation and have this desire to follow and submit your life to this person named Jesus? How did you come to this reality? How did this become true for you? How did this happen in your life? Well, to know why and to know how, you gotta go back to the beginning. You gotta have to go back before you even believed in Christ. Because according to this verse... Before the foundation of the world, God did something amazing for you, the church, his people that determined why and how you actually believe in Christ this morning. Long before you chose to follow Christ. Even before you were brought kicking and screaming into this broken and busted up world. Even before Jacob was born. Even before the Garden of Eden, guys, before anything was made, before anything was created, the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God of this universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the maker of the heavens and the earth, loved you and chose to save you in Christ before the foundation of the world. It was then It was then, way before you ever believed, that God the Father set his electing love upon you. And it was then that he determined to bring you and Christ together. So it was then, guys, before you were even made, before the foundation of the world, that God the Father chose to set his love on you. And he chose then to make you and me, the church, his children in love through the redeeming work that one day his son, Jesus Christ, would accomplish for you and me. Why do you believe this morning? You believe simply because God the Father chose to love you and save you in Christ before you were even born. You believe because God determined that you would believe and be adopted to his family before the foundation of the world. That is why you believe. You believe because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, you may be thinking, didn't I choose Christ? Wasn't it my decision to follow Jesus? Wasn't it my decision to turn from my sin and follow Christ, to submit my life to Him? Absolutely, yes. You did so by your own free will and desire. You chose to put your faith in Christ and chose to follow Him, but only because before the foundation of the world, like Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, God first chose you. He says, I didn't choose you because you first chose me. I chose you before the foundation of the the world. At some point in your life, guys, at some point, it may have been when you were six years old. It may have been when you were 30. It may be actually this morning. God came to you. God came to you and he pursued you and the darkness of your heart and he shined the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in your heart, which enabled you to believe. At some point in your life, he came up to you. He came in your life. He came in the darkness of your light. And just like he did in creation, when he said, let light shine, he said, "Let, let my light shine in your heart and enabled you to see the gospel of the glory of Christ and you believed. He met me on Brook Street. My junior year in college, when the only thing I desired in my life was to party and to do whatever I wanted to do. I had no desire to follow him. I had no, I was not seeking him. He wasn't even on my mind, my heart. I had no desire for him, but he showed up in my room on Brook Street and he softened my heart to want and desire him that I never had desires for him ever before that. God did that. And he did that for you. where would you be if he wouldn't have done that and it's not like we are able to give ourselves eyes to see like spirit like blind people can't do that right like you can't just touch your eyes and say let me see we are spiritually blind and the only one who can actually give us a spiritual sight is god we are dead in our trespasses and sins You think we can make ourselves alive if we are dead? Dead people can't do anything except be dead. But God came and he said, rise. I give you life. I give you eyes to see. I give you new desires. I show you the beauty of Jesus and he was irresistible and you ran to him and you believed. Because he enabled you to believe. But why me? Why you? Why Jacob? Listen to what Paul says in Romans nine eleven. He's speaking about the story of Jacob and Esau, okay? And he says this. He says, though they were not yet born, so the twins were not yet born, had done anything good or evil, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works. He doesn't even say not because of faith, but what does he say? But because of his call she was told the older will serve the younger. Why did God come to you and save you? Why did God choose you in Christ before the foundational world? Was it, was it, because, it wasn't because of anything special in you. It wasn't because I was born to parents who happened to love Jesus. It wasn't because you perhaps came from a privileged and wealthy family. It wasn't because you were the first born or the second born in, 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 in your family. It wasn't It wasn't because God saw your heart and said, oh, his heart's so good. I want him to be a part of my family. It wasn't because of that that God was obligated to to choose you. And it wasn't because of your one day that you would believe in him, that God set his electing love upon you. It wasn't because you're smarter or more talented or more attractive that God loved you and chose you in Christ. You've got nothing to boast in. I have nothing to boast in. We can't look at anything in our lives and say, well, this is it. This is why God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. And there's nothing in your life that, that, that stopped God from loving you. No amount of sin in your life. No matter if you did not grow up with parents who loved Jesus. No matter how shameful you feel about yourself, there is nothing in you that qualified you or disqualified you from God to set his love upon you and choose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why did he do it? Because he simply just did it. God loved you and chose you. Simply because he loved you and chose you, you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it, and you didn't earn it. God loves us. He loves His people. He loves the church simply because we're from the foundation of the world. He set His electing love upon you, for no other reason. Other He did it, and the Bible calls this grace. Ephesians one six. It's the praise of His glorious grace. What are you feeling? little hard to believe in it. I see some looks out there that are, I don't really know what those looks are. Listen, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had as a pastor with people who struggle to believe this question. Does God really love me? Anyone struggle with that question? If so, if he does love me, how does he love me, right? Now, the reason I think we've, we struggle with this and the reason why I've had so many conversations is because we've never experienced this kind of love which loves us simply because they love us apart from anything we've done or can do or cannot do. Have you ever experienced that? And for many people, you know, Ephesians talks, it's God the Father, right? God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ did this for us. So for a lot of people, we struggle with this, and, and it comes down to, for a lot of people, it comes to this reality of the relationship with their earthly father. The relationship with the earthly father directly affects the relationship with God the father. So for, for many people, maybe uh, your earthly father was not present in your life, and so therefore you've never experienced any kind of love from a father. Therefore, you struggle to to really taste and experience and believe the love that God the Father has for you. Or maybe your father was around, but this was kind of the love that he showed you. His love for you was determined by what you did or did not do. So if you did something good, then the father noticed you, your father noticed you, praised you, and loved you because of what you have done. So if you got good grades, or maybe you're really good in sports, or maybe you didn't get into trouble, and when that happens, your earthly father saw you, and he praised you, and he loved you, but it was all based on what you did or did not do. Now, this kind of love is exhausting, isn't it? Because when you do really, really well, you get the love that you long for, but if you fail, then you don't get it. You don't get the attention and, and love that you, that you want, that you desire, And so it leaves us, and it leaves the the people that I have had these conversations, it it leaves us in this place where we're longing for someone to love us simply because they love us. Anyone desire that? But they're left in this place where they've never experienced it, and a lot of it is due to their earthly father. And so you can imagine how, you know, now the, the relationship with God, the father, if this is how my earthly fathers love me, uh, it is based on what I do. And if I do what is right and good, then my earthly father is going to love me. And I guess it's the same as my heavenly father that if I, if I, if I strive and do enough, then I'm going to have and receive the love of God, the father. But what happens when we don't, when we, don't measure up. When we, when we fail, then we don't have the love of the Father. He doesn't notice us. He, he, he's maybe disappointed with us. And I've talked about this before, but maybe he's now like this, uh, this uh, you know, father on the, uh, on, the, on, on the front porch, right? You know, the story of the prodigal God. Instead of the father running after you, he's on the front porch waiting for you to come back. And he's really disappointed in you because you can never get your stuff together. So because his love for you is determined by what you do. And so it leaves us in this place where we all want and long for someone to love us simply because they love us apart from anything that we have done or can do. I love what says to us, I've always loved you. Before you were even born, I've loved you. Before you have done anything good or bad, I have loved you. Before the foundation of the world, I chose to set my love upon you simply because I chose to set my love upon you and I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to belong to me. And so it was before the foundation world that I chose to put you and my son together. And at some point in your life, I showed up and brought you to myself simply because I wanted you to be a part of my family. I've always loved you. From the beginning of time, I've loved you. Listen, if you are in Christ, this is the love that the Father, God the Father has for you. So think about this love as we close. It is a love that was from the beginning of time. And it is a love that met you and saved you in this life. It is a love that made you, you, us, the church, his most prized possession. You believe that. That you are God the Father's most prized possession as a result of what His Son has done to purchase you, to make you His prized possession. It's a love that was from the beginning. It's a love that will never stop. It'll continue throughout eternity. Nothing can separate you from this love. Nothing. Have you received The love of God the Father that he has for you in Christ. Then it's meant to change you. For how can we taste and see the love that God the Father has for us in Christ and not love him more? I don't have to really tell you right now to love him more, right? Because you see and you taste his his love which then compels you to love him. Which now enables us to feel the greatest commandment. How do we we love him above all things? Well, we see it in the way in which he's loved us, which enables us then to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's meant to humble us. For what can you boast in? What can I boast in? Nothing. The only thing we can boast in is him. And this truth is meant to take us to this place of praise we get on our hands and knees and we lift up our voices to praise him for his glorious grace. That is why he has done all of this for us, is for the praise of his glorious grace in which we have received in the beloved, which we don't deserve. Back to what I said at the very beginning, no one is deserving of his love and kindness. But he showed up in your life and he poured his love and kindness out into your life that he determined that he would at the beginning of all of time. That is how much God the Father loves you. Dwell on it. As you go throughout this week, memorize this verse, Ephesians 1. Continue on in that chapter. It's the most amazing chapter, one of the most amazing chapters of all the scripture. Bank on it and let it define what is true in your life. For what's true is God the Father loves you and chose to save you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Believe it, cling to it, and let it change us. Let's pray.